Well, good morning and welcome to North Star. I'm so glad you decided to join us today, wherever, whether you're in the room or watching online in one of our other venues. Thank you so much for being here. I'm gonna give you a head start. Go and open up to Mark chapter five, Mark chapter five. And as you're turning there, I wanna tell you about a man named Charles Blondin. Now, Charles Blondin lived in the 1800s. He was a French tightrope artist. That sounds like I just picked three random words and threw them together. I promise it's a real story. So Charles was a man who loved to woo a crowd. He loved to get the attention of others and to show off and show out as much as he could. And he, one of his most famous feats is that he crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope. 1,100 feet across, 160 feet above the raging waters, and he crossed from the American side to the Canadian side and back. But again, he's a tightrope artist. So that wasn't enough just to cross the tightrope. He did it multiple times over the next few years. He began uh, doing it one time blindfolded. One time he was in chains. One time he did it in like a sack, like you were in elementary school with your field day. One time he stopped halfway. So he went, stopped halfway, ate lunch on the tightrope. Crazy. Like I get scared when I look over a hotel balcony. Like this man's eating over Niagara Falls. Dropped off the supplies and on the way back he carried a camera. And I'm not talking like an iPhone. I'm talking like massive camera and took a picture of the audience. Because again, he loved to show off. And one of his most famous feats is that he crossed Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow. So he started on the American side. He went and picked up the wheelbarrow and began to cross over Niagara Falls. Again, I'm like almost falling over personally and I'm on a stage. He crosses Niagara Falls. He comes back and again, the crowd is going wild. They've never seen somebody do something so incredible. And he, again, is a showman and loves to play to the crowd. He begins to ask the crowd, do you believe that I can cross Niagara Falls with a person in the wheelbarrow? And everybody goes crazy. They love it. And then he asked for a volunteer. <laughs> and the crowd was incredibly quiet. See, that day, the crowd in Niagara Falls learned a lesson that there is a difference between faith that is mere belief and faith that comes with action. Today in Mark chapter 5, we're going to look at two people in their story who were desperate in their time of need. And they also learned through bold faith that it isn't just mere belief, but it is action with belief. So Mark chapter 5, if you're not there yet... I believe in you. You can flip quick. If you would, let's stand together as we read God's word. It's going to be a little bit of a long passage. So let me challenge you. If you would, try and picture the scene as we're reading this together this morning. Try and put yourself in the shoes of these people. Verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had been suffering a, a discharge of blood for 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports of Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. 
And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's pray together this morning. Dear Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for these people that are gathered together under your name today. God, I pray, God, as we walk through this story, that we wouldn't just see it as just a a Bible story or a nursery rhyme or just something to uh, walk through slowly, but that we would ultimately see this as an experience to be felt. God, that we would feel the sheer desperation of the people in this story. God, and we gain hope from you in the way that you met them where they are. God, would you meet us today? God, as we search your word, would you search our hearts in turn? All for your glory, Lord. In your name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for standing. So again, we're in a series called Questions God Ask. And today's question is this, who touched my garments? And look, you are in for a treat. You didn't know it. We didn't have signs up or any like balloons in the parking lot. But this Sunday at North Star is BOGO Sunday. Buy one, get one. Everybody gets a deal. Because today, Jesus is asking a question to one specific woman in the story. But the way Mark writes this story, really it's the woman and Jairus and his daughter that we will focus on. So two stories for the price of one. And look, you got to do something for me. They didn't give me double time. So, uh... I need you to listen quickly if you can. Point number one, bold faith believes. Bold faith believes. So we have two people in this story. The first one is this. We have Jairus, and it describes him as a leader of the synagogue. He's a Jewish official. He is a powerful man at this time. And if you know anything about the Jews nowadays in this spot, they don't really like Jesus, They see him as a rebel, somebody who is instigating, somebody who's against what they are saying. So Jairus typically would not be a fan of Jesus, but there's one difference today. His little girl is hurting. We see in verse 22, his bold faith that believed. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. I don't know the last time you've had somebody fall at your feet before but it's not common. And it shows the desperation that Jairus had. If you have somebody falling at your feet, either they're a three-year-old or desperate, or a desperate three-year-old. It's one of the three. Jairus, this esteemed, powerful Jewish ruler, comes to the feet of Jesus and falls down. But he's not the only one in the story. We also have this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Again, we see... 12 years is a long time. Like, this is a long time to be able to have had this discomfort, you'd say at the least, pain, probably at the most. And everything she tries to do keeps making it worse. She's lost all her money. She's gone to every doctor. And you add insult to injury. Back in this day, the Levitical law said if you were bleeding, that your body was unclean. So it's not like you like get some soap and like wash off and just call it a day. Like this woman was cast out of her community. So no more going to Starbucks and like catching up with friends over like a white chocolate mocha. 
No more sitting around the campfire with friends or family. No more going to the temple to worship God. Twelve years hopeless. This woman is alone, unclean, unwanted, desperate. But we see her bold faith that believed. The beginning of verse 27 says this. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Like that's all it took. I've heard of this man named Jesus and I have a problem and I've heard he might can help with it. So I'm gonna go figure out this Jesus dude today. And we feel the weight of their desperation. Friends, my, my goal for you today isn't to see this as a story to be read, but an experience to be felt. For you, I don't know what you've walked in here with, but these two people in this story were desperate. Maybe for you, it's been a loss of a loved one recently. And man, you've been hurting. Maybe it was a mom, a dad, a friend, a sibling. But their loss still hurts you. Maybe it's an addiction you've been struggling with. And every time it's like you get one step forward and two steps back and you feel like you're getting a grip on it. And every time you continue to feel the weight. Again, maybe you're struggling today. Fathers in the room, I want you to experience this. So think about it this way. There is a baby girl who is hurting. Now, personally, my wife, Hannah, and I, we have an 11-month-old named Emery, and she's still in the round where she's getting shots every once in a while, and she, she does this thing. She's a happy baby. She loves to, like, just see people. She's waving now. She's crawling. She loves everybody, and the doctor will go take her, and they'll weigh her, and she's laughing and loving it, and they'll measure her, and she's laughing and loving it, and then they grab the needle, and she's laughing and loving it, and then the needle goes in her arm and she does this thing that the doctors don't like and I especially don't like where she will, the moment the needle presses into her skin, she'll <gasps> and begin to hold her breath and she'll turn red and then blue even and then she lets out the most ear shattering cry and I'm just like, baby girl, Emery, I love you. This is good for you. I'm helping you. Emery, I would take this if I could. Baby girl, I promise I'm not trying to hurt you. And these are 11-month-old shots. Imagine your baby girl, your baby boy on their deathbed. This father is desperate. And this woman is desperate. I mean, 12 years of bleeding, that's 4,380 days of discomfort. 4,380 days of pain, of no community, of nothing else. Think about it this way. If you've ever had a major injury, like rehab is not fun. Like, let's be honest. You, okay, you, you tweak something. Okay, now you got to go to PT and then you got to go to a doctor and you got to get medicine and it still hurts. You got to get more medicine. Then you go to PT and you tweaked it this time and you hurt it again. Imagine 12 years trying all that you can to get better and you're only worse and there's no hope on the horizon. None of us would go through a rehab quite like that where we're trying to mend our body. This woman is without hope. She is desperate. Friends, feel the weight of that today, the desperation. And I don't think I have to convince you of what that feels like. Again, maybe you're struggling with addiction. Maybe you're struggling with the loss of a loved one. Maybe today, like you have just been felt with this weight of like, man, I just can't seem to get it right. I've had a change of season. I'm changing jobs. I'm changing houses. I'm moving. I'm whatever. Even good things can be a loss sometimes. And we find these people desperate. Like, time out. In a room this size, 
I would bet some of you today, you came in and like you were happy and bubbly in the lobby and somebody asked you how you were and you're like, oh, I am highly favored and blessed. Thank you, Lord. It's a Lord's day. Like, man, I am, I am just doing incredible. How are you? Oh, bless you, Lord. Thank you. Like you're feeling this experience and what you tell people is I'm great. And then you, if they could see that your heart or your thoughts, I'm really struggling. Or maybe today you joined us online because getting out the door was too daunting of a task. I don't think I have to convince you what desperation looks like. Most of us have felt it at some point or another. These two people in this story are desperate and they do the only thing that they can do. They don't, again, bold faith believes. It doesn't believe in faith itself. It believes in the object of its faith, Jesus Christ, the one who can sustain all things. Jairus and this woman were incredibly desperate and they went to the one who could do something about it. So bold faith believes, point number two, bold faith acts. Bold faith. I think the question we have to wrestle with today is we see the power of God in this story throughout it. And Jairus and the woman at this point, they have believed to the point of saying God can do the impossible. I think we all individually have to wrestle today. Do we believe God can do the impossible. In verse 23, again, we see that Jairus and the woman believed this and they acted upon it. Verse 23, he's already fallen down. He implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter's at the point of death. Come in, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he falls down at the feet of Jesus and begins to implore earnestly. Mark, for some reason, used really big words to say he like begged Jesus. Like he's bawling his eyes out. He's grabbing his ankles like, Jesus, my baby girl is hurting. I need you. And Jesus says, all right, let's go. We'll, we'll go and make this right. Now, I imagine, again, the desperate man gets up and he begins to walk. And now there's a crowd and he's beginning to run. And he's making his way to his daughter saying, oh, this is her only hope. This is her only hope. And Jesus stops. I wonder what Jairus was thinking in this moment. Like, hey, Jesus, like, I know, okay, you got, like, somebody touched up against you, whatever. Like, remember my daughter is on her deathbed. Hey, Jesus, remember how I just got on my hands and knees begging you to come heal her. Hey, Jesus, we can figure out this whole crowd situation later. Like, it's around the corner. We'll come back. We'll just, like, we'll make it happen. Now, I wonder what Jairus was thinking in the moment that Jesus stopped. And we have to ask ourselves, why did he stop? It was the bold faith of the woman taking action that stopped this man. Jesus was stopped because the woman had bold faith. In verse 27, we see her bold faith play out. That Again, she had just heard the reports. That's all she knows about Jesus. And came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt her body that she was healed of her disease. Again, bold faith acts. It takes action. All throughout scripture, we see that, that you kneel, that you beg, that you grab the hem of the garment, that you cast your net to the other side, that you get out of the boat and walk on the water, that you come down from the tree and follow Jesus. Bold faith always takes action. So we come to the question today, the question God asked, who touched my garments? And like Jesus isn't just like being petty here, like dog, this is Gucci, like back off, like the, who is touching this? He leans in 
because he has a bigger plan for the woman that day. He had a bigger plan than just to heal her. He wanted to restore her. See, to heal her was just to heal her current circumstance, to dry the blood up, but to restore her was to bring her in front of the community. Again, she is terrified. She is an outcast. She's not allowed in public. And he brings her in front of the crowd to restore her, saying, this woman is right with the community and right with God. I have restored her. Friends, do you know that Jesus would like to restore you today as well? He is. Amen. Dog, I'm about to, here you go. Where's the mic at? Right here. <laughs> he is. He wants to restore you. Again, may, just like the woman, Jesus cares for you dearly. Like he may not take away the physical consequences of past sins. Maybe sins you've committed that you're feeling the repercussions of. He might not can do anything with that, but he can heal you from the power of sin in your life. That when you were born, when I was born, a divide was created between me and God, you and God, that no physician, no doctor, no magician could heal. Only Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, could mend and restore you. And friends, this isn't a, a hopeful wish that he will one day do this. He has done this. Thousands of years ago, John says it well, to Tetelestai, it is finished. Today, you can be restored to Jesus. You can be restored to the Father. Bold faith believes. Bold faith acts. And bold faith trusts Jesus through all things. Bold faith trusts Jesus through all things. If we're looking at the story today, it's a little shocking to us. For them back in that day that are truly experiencing it, it would have been a shock to them. Like, think back to the Levitical law. She is unclean, which means she is not allowed in public. And it's not like she's been, like, dealing with this for a little bit. It's been 12 years. Everybody probably knows this woman. So they're parting the way, like, please don't touch me. Like, you're unclean. Technically, she's supposed to be going around saying, I'm unclean. Back up. I'm unclean. Stay away. I'm unclean. And she beelines it to Jesus and grabs his garment. And she's healed. And then in the moment of her desperation, the moment of her probably relief that she's been healed, Jesus said, who touched my garments? And I wonder what shame and guilt comes back over her in that moment. Oh, I'm not supposed to be out here. Oh, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to be around these people. I'm not supposed to touch the master's garments. And Jesus calls her in front of the crowd to restore her. And he says this, verse 34. Again, everybody else has cast this woman out. Jesus says this to her. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Daughter. A term for me personally, one person in this entire world gets that title. And throughout this entire story, if you've noticed, the woman isn't named. She goes this whole time being unnamed to show you she's an outcast, she's a nobody, she is unclean and unworthy. And Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, calls her up and says, daughter. The most intimate term he could have used. You know, this is the only time in scripture that Jesus calls somebody daughter. An unnamed woman who nobody thought deserved it. At the feet of Jesus called daughter. 
Her bold faith trusted Jesus through all things. And a bunch of people rubbed up against Jesus that day. But there was something different about this woman. The difference was she had a touch of faith. She knew the report. She had heard about the man. She said, if I touch his garment, I will be healed. Friends, some of us need a bold touch of faith today to reach out and to grab the garments. Remember, today is Bogo Sunday. You get a second story. Jairus is still sitting there. Like, oh, sweet, I'm glad you healed her, Jesus. Thanks for calling her up, Jesus. Come on, Jesus, we gotta go, Jesus. My daughter's still sick, Jesus. And the news takes a turn for the worst. Verse 35 to the end of the chapter. We'll see how Jairus' story wraps up. It says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had heard, entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into the where the child was. Taking her by the hand, said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Friends, Jairus' story turns from a moment of desperation to a moment of hopelessness. Like, Jesus, thanks for helping this girl out. You said you were gonna help with my daughter. Where have you been? Jesus, we were on our way. We were so close, but it's too little, too late. Men from the house come to meet Jairus and give him the bad news. Your baby girl's no longer with us. I'm so sorry for your loss. The man's desperation turned to hopelessness. So they continue on. People even tell him, don't bother the teacher anymore. Like, let him be. He's got more important things. I'm sorry to tell you, your daughter's not with us. And Jesus shows up and there are people outside weeping and wailing. Now, back in that day, they were professional mourners. So when somebody that you loved passed away, you would hire people to make a big commotion outside your house, bawling their eyes out, crying as if they knew you, playing instruments to be able to just honor and mourn the loss. So these people you would say are experts in the dead. Like they are consistently around dead bodies. And Jesus shows up and says, why are you guys mourning? She's not dead, she's just asleep. And they laugh in the face of Jesus. Jesus kicks them out, takes Jairus and his wife and the disciples that were with him and he walks into the room where the little girl is. And I wonder what Jairus was thinking in the moment. What's this gonna do? This isn't gonna change anything. I appreciate your condolences, Jesus, but she's not here. 
But a man who should have been hopeless clung to the truth in verse 36 when Jesus told him, do not fear, only believe. So Jesus walks in and this girl who everybody else would say is dead, again, a Levitical law, very big part in the passage that this woman, this body is now considered unclean. So anything that touches the girl's body would be unclean. And what does Jesus do? He walks in, he kneels by her bedside, grabs her by the hand and says, little girl, wake up. I have a bigger plan for you. She wakes up. And in that moment, the 12 year old girl who everybody else thought had lost her life was healed. Did you catch those details in the story? Mark here is trying to draw the the comparison between the two. We have the woman who was bleeding. She was unnamed and unknown. And then there's Jairus' daughter who's known because of her dad. The unnamed woman had been bleeding for 12 years and Jairus' daughter had been alive for 12 years. The woman was called daughter and the little girl was called little girl. Another intimate term. And both of them that day were healed. Friends, life can be incredibly bitter, but Jesus is so, so sweet. When you have a bold faith that trusts in him through all things. If we had more time this morning, I'd walk you through all of Mark 4 and 5 because Mark is trying to put these stories together to show the power of Jesus. And the tail end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, he casts out demons. And then he heals the bleeding woman of her disease and heals the little girl of her death. And Mark is trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell you, if Jesus has power over nature, over demons, over disease, and over death, he has power over your hurt today. He sees you. He loves you. He cares for you. Nothing goes unnoticed to him. Jesus cares for you today in your hurt. All you have to do, like the woman, is reach out and grab the garment. Or like Charles Blondin said, to get in the wheelbarrow. Again, faith isn't distant belief in the future, but it's bold living today in the present, living on the promises of God that he is for you and has a plan for you and loves you dearly. So today I'd like to end our service with a challenge and a little bit of a twist on the back end. So today, maybe you walked in the room and like Jairus or like the woman, you walked in desperate. You've been living your life for yourself. You've been maybe one foot in, one foot out of the church. Maybe, maybe I believe, maybe I don't. Maybe if I see something, maybe if I don't. I, I'm not really sure how I feel about this Jesus guy. Well, friends, let me tell you, he sees you in your pain. He has already paid for that pain. He lived a perfect life that you and I could not live. He died a gruesome death that we deserved for our sin and rose again, defeating death, defeating hell, defeating the grave, so that you and I can have a chance at a restored relationship with the Father. This morning, 
Maybe some of you have walked in and you've never put your yes on the table for Jesus. I wanna challenge you to put your yes in the wheelbarrow, to say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I know it won't always be perfect. I know it won't always be easy, but I believe in you. If you can heal these people, you can move in my life and you can defeat sin and death for me. I put my yes in the wheelbarrow. And there's nothing special about this wheelbarrow necessarily. The contents of the wheelbarrow don't make a difference. It's the one who is holding the wheelbarrow. People trusted Charles Blondin that day. Today, Christ holds the wheelbarrow for you and I, holding your weight, holding your pain, holding your sin and saying, I've got you. So maybe today you for the first time need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. But maybe for some of you in the room, you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And what was really easy to put your yes in the wheelbarrow at first turned to you taking possession back of your life in certain areas. Maybe for you, it's your marriage. Again, what started off as a beautiful ceremony and you saying, I do and I, I love you, I'll serve you, I'll honor you till death do us part. And years have passed and what was God honoring where you served each other now has turned into a war zone. That you go home and you look for every opportunity to nitpick and to complain and to tear down each other. Today, if your marriage is hurting, would you put your marriage in the wheelbarrow? It's not saying that the wheelbarrow has the effect, but the one who is holding the wheelbarrow has the power to provide for you in your marriage. Today, Jesus wants to heal your marriage. Maybe for you, it's not your marriage, it's your kids. We have a lot of these laying around the house nowadays. And maybe for you, again, what started as a God-honoring lifestyle, you want to raise them up right, you are praying for them in the womb, and maybe you even dedicated them here at North Star, slowly has become you taking possession back because they started to do these things called tantrums. And they started to have attitudes and their interests don't align with you. And what started as a God-honoring parenthood has turned into as many ways as you can tear them down or put pressure on them. Maybe you're not in this stage anymore, but you have adult children that maybe were following the Lord so closely when they were young, but as they've grown, you've seen them walk away in some ways and you are grieved and riddled with anxiety today. Would you trust your parenthood? in the wheelbarrow. Not because the wheelbarrow has power, but the one who has the power to hold the wheelbarrow says, I will give you peace. I will give you comfort. I will help you parent well. Will you trust Jesus in the wheelbarrow? Maybe that's not you. Maybe for you it is your business or your schooling. Again, you started off saying, look, hey, I'm gonna serve others well. I'm gonna come and get a degree. I'm gonna come and do these things to help myself out. And it was really easy when you were like low man on the totem pole. But as you've risen the ranks of your corporate office, what started off as you looking to serve others has turned into how can they serve me? Or maybe you're not caring as much about the people around you. You care about the end goal and the profit margin at the end of the year. Maybe for you, it's not necessarily that the business side of work, but you just show up to get a paycheck and are going through the motions. You've lost your passion for work. Friends, God has called us to work well for his glory. Today, would you put your business, your occupation in the wheelbarrow?
Because again, Jesus has the power to hold it. He has the power to give you spiritual leadership opportunities to serve others and serve them well. So this morning, if you've made any of those steps, again, maybe you're like a combo of the three or something I didn't even mention, or you're just trying trying to figure it out today in just a second. Um, Seth and the worship team are going to lead us in a song. But after I pray, there will be some members of our staff and our prayer team down front. And today, if you're saying, I want to get in the wheelbarrow, or maybe I want to place an aspect of my life that I've been holding on to in the wheelbarrow, we have people up front who want to pray for you. If you're online, you can, uh, the chat host and the pastors are ready to pray for you as well. And let me just tell you, if you're in the middle of like a 19 section row, like, The nine people on the left or the right of you want to move if you want to be prayed for today. So I'm gonna go ahead and let you know that. In a second, we'll have people down here to help pray over you. And really, ultimately, this moment is whatever you need it to be. If there's not a person available for a prayer, come pray at the altar. Or maybe there's a husband and a wife who wants to pray over each other. Or maybe you're sitting by your kids and you wanna pray over them. Whatever this moment needs to look like for you, will you get in the wheelbarrow? Will you trust God and say, God, I believe you have the power to save and sustain me no matter what life's hurts throw my way. Let's pray together this morning. Dear God, I wanna thank you God, just so much for all that you're currently doing in the room. God, I I pray for some of us, God, as as we're in midsummer right now, that, God, you are just challenging and pushing us, God, that as we have searched your word, God, that you would continue to move in the hearts and lives of people, God. God, I pray that today that those of us who walked in with desperation, like Jairus, like the woman who was bleeding, God, that we would come to the feet of the cross and give it to you. God, that we would take every aspect of our life and place it in the wheelbarrow saying that I trust not the wheelbarrow itself, but the object of my faith, Jesus Christ. And he is a firm foundation. God, would you do what only you can do in those next few moments? Will you do something fresh in us? God, as couples pray over each other and parents pray over their children. And God, we have to have people down front ready to pray. In your name I pray all these things. Amen. If you would, in a second, when Seth and the team play, you're welcome to come down here. And their goal isn't to counsel you or to fix it, but to help bring it to the one who would like to help along the way. So when you come down, just say, hey, my name is blank. I'm really struggling in my marriage. Will you pray for me? And our staff and our prayer team would love to lift you up. So thank you guys so much.